lots and lots of spoilers. Hello there, you sexy, sexy listeners. Me? Hope you're feeling very sexy today. Oh my. We've got one steamy romantic comedy this week in our Isn't It Romantic series. Oh my. It's so sexy, it'll make you want to have sex. <laughs> With people. <laughs> sexy people. Very sexifully. Down With Love has all the elements of a 60s sex comedy. Two hot leads in swinging 60s fashions, witty repartee, classy drinks, rampant sexism, casual racism, quirky New York imagery and cliches. Just the sort of movie you'd expect from 1963 or 65 or so. So it really... Wait, wait, hang on. Is this right? Hmm. This movie is from 2003? Uh, yes. Seriously? Yes. Wait, wait, what? Huh? Uh, oh, okay, okay. Sexy, right. Sexy, sexiness. <laughs> That's what we've got, right? 2003, huh? Yeah. Huh. Oh, well, uh, I'm your host, Max Thrustmaster Levine. <laughs> and over there is your host, Mike Engorged Male Sexual Organs Loose. Oh, yeah. You're, you're making me feel funny. <laughs> uh, as to that opening, uh, I don't know if we can broadcast that. <laughs> oh, of course we can. <laughs> yeah. Okay. None of it's on the forbidden words, yeah. Did you watch so, this movie? <laughs> I did. <laughs> it's a sex comedy with sex. Except mm, there isn't any. I was going to say, I disagree. <laughs> Well, actually, there is, but it's all off screen. And or there's some. Well, we'll get to this. The show. So some trivia. Hmm. Yeah. The budget for this was thirty-five million dollars. Here it comes. Worldwide gross. Worldwide. <laughs> Pants. Thirty-nine million dollars. <laughs> this did this just broke even and Yay, not really four million dollars <laughs> yeah which probably paid for one advertising run <laughs> everything the characters wore everything literally from the shoes to the hats was custom made for them nice everything uh the split screen telephone call scenes are direct homages to the 1950s and 60s screwball comedies like particularly 1959's pillow talk Doris Day and Rock Hudson. Screwball? Mm. <laughs> uh, during the dating montage between, I'm not even, I'm not going to say the character's name just yet, but Ewan McGregor's character and Ray <laughs> Zellweger's character, uh, there's a scene in the background of a man playing bongo drums. This footage is taken shot for shot from Pillow Talk, 1959, which is where Doris Day and Rock Hudson's characters first meet. Those aren't beatniks! <laughs> <laughs> To create the movie's vivid, stylized appearance, cinematographer Jeff Cronenweth, mm. Cronenweth, Cronen I don't even know how to pronounce his damn name. Cronenberg, the fly! <laughs> help me, help me! Digitally color-timed the movie to simulate the appearance of three-strip Technicolor. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Barbara, uh, Renee Zellweger's character has a long monologue, which is, in fact, three minutes and two seconds in a single unbroken shot 
And to give you an idea of the kind of professional Rene Zellweger is, it only took him six takes to get that right, that whole thing. Dang, because I was actually, there's a gag reel that I did not know about that's on YouTube. Ah. And I watched that, and um, let's just say there was plenty of material for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the cartoon animator and Mad Magazine artist Richard Williams made a fake Mad Magazine cover involving Alfred E. Newman as, the, as Rene Zellweger's character holding her book. Mad Magazine commented on its cameo in the movie as a surefire kiss of death for a movie. <laughs> and they were this right. This is true, by the way. Uh, there are. This is a rather... I found this a rather jarring piece of historical trivia. There are several pieces of dialogue early on where they refer to Nazi rocket science scientists mm. living in the U.S. That's real, by the way. That's a reference to something called Operation Paperclip which was just after World War II. It was a government project that brought over the Nazi scientists who developed the V-2 rockets that, you know, destroyed London to bring them over here to work on the U.S. space program, mostly in Huntsville, Alabama. I thought Paperclip uh, was the UFO one. No, 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 that's Blue Book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The most famous of the scientists, of course, as we all know from the Tom Lehrer song, <laughs> was Dr. Werner von Braun. They didn't mean to kill people. It was just their way of making friends. <laughs> yes, even giant turtles get lonely. <laughs> he That's had, a deeper. Yeah, he was the technical director of a Nazi rocket factory that was staffed by slave labor from the nearby Middle Braudora concentration camp. He basically, he was essential to the creation of the Redstone missile. It's kind of, and he was, in a lot of ways, uh, which was the band, he helped with the Saturn V rocket, the basis of the Apollo program. But it's still kind of a weird name to just sort of, or a weird concept to just drop in a romantic comedy. But it is funny. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. <laughs> this is Tony Randall's second to last movie. He was mm. 83 at the time. The last one, of course, was the one we all remember It's About Time. It's About Space? No, that was, in fact, I checked. It is not a remake of whatever the hell that show it's was called. It's About Time. <laughs> it is not about time travel. A film, or not film, a TV show so uh, vague and and out there that I don't think either of us have ever seen an episode of it. Nope, we've heard the theme song, but we've never seen the show. Uh, he, Of course, you know, Tony was not doing so well. He's in a grand total of two scenes, and I think it's about three lines. Well, I think he'd just become a father again, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> now, Tony Randall also appeared with Rock Hudson and Doris Day in Pillow Talk, Lover Come Back, and Send Me No Flowers. In all three of these movies, Randall played Hudson's employer and nebbishy sidekick, the David Hyde Pierce role in this movie. Mm -hmm. So he's passing the torch. Yeah. This 55 sets were built on four sound stages for this movie. Uh, the director, Peyton Reed, had a, um, you know, I guess, ingenious way of getting a hold of uh, period costumes and props. He used some strange kind of internet technology called um, eBay? <laughs> eBay? Oh, yeah, Max, eBay. you're so on top of things. <laughs> yeah, the guy went up, was all over eBay. Uh, we do have uh, brief appearances by two Saturday Night Live actors, Rachel Dratch as Gladys and Chris Parnell as the smarmy TV host. They, they were also... Uh, they were friends, and they, I think they knew someone in the set. That little extra scene in the credits where the McGregor and Zellweger singing a duet was filmed at the insistence of Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger. 
You know, both of them have been in musicals previously, you know, Moulin Rouge and Chicago, respectively, and they thought it would be a sin not to. Right. They were wrong. <laughs> I, it was charming. It was fine. No, I mean, if you're going to do the rest of it, you might as well do that. Apparently, I Max suppose. disagrees. <laughs> uh, so that's all I've got. Do you have any uh, trivia that I missed? I do. Uh, ah. um, so we, uh, as listeners may remember, because it's only been a week, uh, we had a little technical issue last week, so we couldn't do an episode. And this is a weird thing. Um, usually, I don't know about Max, but I tend to watch the movie like the day before we record. Now, I, had, I make notes, yeah. but there's still stuff that's fresh in my mind even the next day when we record. Well, this case was a week, and so I forgot a lot of stuff. So I had to go looking things up to try and remember. It's like I have these notes. It's like, what, what does that note mean? I don't know. And I found a couple of things. Um, so in a, uh, a weird bout of marketing, uh, this movie was specifically released opposite another movie that came out the same week as a kind of counter-programming. Do you know what that movie was? I do not. <laughs> the Matrix Reloaded. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, sure, that's why it didn't do so well, that The Matrix Reloaded stole that exact kind of rom-com audience well i mean you could just hear the meeting right it's like well if you don't want to see the matrix reloaded you'll want to see this <laughs> <laughs> to be fair wow i mean well usually we get to this later but i did see this i saw them both i don't know why i saw uh. this in the theater but i did uh director peyton reed he would go on to direct two episodes among other things of the mandalorian and both oh. ant-man movies interestingly when he was in high school, he was in a punk band, and he drew the flyer for their band, and he made up each member to look like a member of the Avengers. Guess huh. which character he chose for himself? Ooh, Ant-Man. Yes. Ah. <laughs> so, weird bit of... I'm a genius! <laughs> <laughs> other than that, uh, no, I have no other uh, trivia for this film, but Max, would you do hmm. us a favor? Sure. Would you recount the plot for us? I because... will do that for you right Thank now. You. Set in 1962, this movie is a tribute to the so-called sex comedies of the 1960s. Sex. Yeah. Well, Catcher Block. <laughs> <sighs> you remember him from Speed Racer, the uh, the mammoth car <laughs> Cruncher Block? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's a by, mammoth car. Oh, played by Ewan McGregor. It's a lady killer, man's man, man about town, journalist. You have to sort of just take the journalist part on faith because there's not a lot of evidence of it, who specializes in exposés and is probably carrying every STD known to man. <laughs> Barbara they didn't no have STDs in 1962. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara Novak, played by Renee Zellweger, is a sweet girl from Maine who has written a book called Down With Love, which advances the radical notion that women don't need love from men, just basic sex when they want it, what they really want to do is pursue, pursue careers and get, oh, there's a ludicrous idea, equal pay. <laughs> oh, those dizzy dames. Uh, Man, due to an inexplicable mailed. link to a Judy Garland performance of a song by the same name and not a lawsuit for copyright infringement, uh, the book becomes an overnight sensation changing the lives of women all over the world or at least on several sets. Uh, Block decides that Novak must be a phony because every woman just wants herself a man's and creates a fake persona to make Barbara fall in love with him and to prove to everyone that she's a fraud. Hijinks ensue and ensue and ensue. <laughs> there are plot twists, twists on the twists, subplots involving the lead's best friends apparently falling in love. 
Double entendres that are so unsubtle they're basically .5 entendres. And a guy named Johnny Tremendous. Wowzers. That's pretty much it. Did you literally just end your plot synopsis with a quote from Inspector Gadget? I did, and I do it again. I'm always on duty. Right. Yeah. So now, yeah. the rest of the show. The Lowdown. Okay, so, I had never seen this. I had only heard of it, and what I had heard was not very encouraging. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if the audience can guess your reaction to this film. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. I do have to say the one thing they absolutely frigging nailed was the look. Mm-hmm. This really, it was kind of unsettling. I mean, right from the 20th Century Fox logo, which was by 2003 already... He, you know, just it was already obsolete. Right. To the color palette, to the uh, the bad, the weirdly animated opening, and the goofy using of the song, uh, the, the the haunting love theme, and the music. Mark Shaman, by the way, did the music, and he is disturbingly good at mimicking the '60s styles. Mm. Well, I hadn't even had that old CinemaScope opening filmed in yes. CinemaScope, which I'm sure it wasn't, but well, no. I don't think it was. Yeah, and the but. costumes, the sets. Mm-hmm. Every everything really looked like it was out of a nineteen sixties movie. You might use the word reeked. Yeah. yeah. Reeked. Really <laughs> reeked of the sixties. <laughs> and the sixties oozing all over it. Can't um can't hold back, can you? Nope. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> There'll be no What's, surprise. The other thing I'll say, the cast is remarkable. They've got some really good people in this. Not just Renny Zellweger and Ewan McGregor, McGregor, the farmer McGregor, whatever his name was. <laughs> I'm, you know, uh, okay, Obi-Wan can know me. But they also, David Hyde Pierce, who is hilarious most of the time in other things, and uh, Sarah <laughs> Paulson, who plays uh, Barbanovic's best friend, Vicky. She's terrific. Tony Randall's always fun. Yeah. It's kind of disturbing when you realize that this, at that point, 83-year-old actor who's best known for being on The Odd Couple, he has like two lines and blows away everybody else on the screen when he does them. Yeah, my note was, the evil tyrant Felix Unger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, other odd people appearing. At one point, uh, there's a stewardess in... Pretty much the most stewardessy of stewardess outfits you could imagine in the '60s. That powder blue, weird Jackie Onassis pillbox hat thingy. That's Jerry Ryan, aka Seven of Nine from Star Trek oh, Voyager. I couldn't place her. I'm like, yeah. I, it's, I know it's not leggy Juliet Prowse, but it's like, who <laughs> is that? Okay. No, she. But I could see where you got that. She is in a lot of ways made up, and her hair is done to look a lot like Juliet Prowse. Yeah. Or you know, that style. She was the wife of actor David Prowse, who originally played Darth Vader. No, no. Wait a minute. <laughs> Darth Vaderina. Yeah. Um, it does. It does have that feeling. I, I thought, if anything, the colors were a little too bright, but, you know, whatever. I, I'm not going to sit there and compare and contrast a Doris Day movie, which I have absolutely no interest in watching. Um, although I just it just occurred to me, uh, the Doris Day movies, any Doris Day movie with Rock Hudson in it, and this movie have one other thing in common. And what's that? They both have actors pretending they're straight. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, by the way. Both David Hyde Pierce, and one of the jokes in this is he is attempting to set a, uh, to start a romance with 
Vicky, who is Barbara's editor and best friend. We know they're best friends because they tell us. Yeah. But uh, Vicky decides, figured, or assumes that he's gay. And tell it's okay. It's okay. They can still get married. I didn't quite get that, but there's actually a lot in this I don't get. But the irony, of course, is David Hyde Pierce, uh, a couple of years later, would come out as gay. (laughs) By the way, so did Sarah Paulson, who plays Vicky. Yeah. Yeah, and when David Hyde Pierce came out as gay, it was almost as surprising as when uh, uh, the guy from uh, Aha, what the hell's his name? Um, George Michael came out oh. and said, "You know, I may not be entirely uh, straight." That, you mean wham? Yeah, <laughs> entirely yeah. straight. Yeah, yeah, not Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the world went. Wait, you didn't know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I got so... lucky enough to see David Hyde Pierce on Broadway. He is a very talented guy. He really is. is. And he's funny um, as hell. He was in Spamalot, and I think he had either three or four parts in that Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. And he was a it was a real kick to see him on Broadway, and you know part of me feels badly because obviously he thought that he couldn't come out because it would hurt his career and stuff. But I mean, dude, <laughs> we're not surprised. I mean, on the show Frasier, he pretty much he was most people's favorite character, Niles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there was even episodes where there people were like, "Isn't Frasier gay?" Um, yeah, that was that was sort of a running some a running subtext that the people thought he was gay. And of those three characters, the father and the two sons, the only one who wasn't was was Fraser. Yeah, yeah. Uh, eventually, grammar. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. Straight couldn't drive, but straight. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> hey, gay people can drive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The straight guy was the one who couldn't. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it, it it feels it's time. Um, it has characters in it. Um. And here's the weird thing. When I went to see this, yeah, and I don't know why I saw it, because I also rewatched the trailer, and I'm sitting there going, yep, absolutely nothing about this would make me want to go see this movie. <laughs> uh, I have no, I got no idea. And I asked my partner, he's like, no, I didn't see it. So it's like, I didn't even drag him to go see it. I just went on my own. Uh-huh. My memory of it was that it was light and fluffy and charming and un- inoffensive. <laughs> Wow. In that way, I know. In, a, in that way, that old uh, Doris Day Robinson yeah. films were. You know, of course, we look back at them now and well, well, they're whiter than white, and there's bits of racism, and it's bits of sex. No, I'm sorry, not bits of sexism. Oh, huge! Um, my God, it, it's uh, the, the entire premise is sexist, and what? not just sexist, but pretty misogynist too. Well, you know, I, I have a talking point about that. Um, okay. My my question is, and this is sort of in a way jumping to the end, but whatever. So, is this movie really as sexist as it seems, or is it a really subversive satire about the state of sexism in today's society? No. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was looking at that too. I was thinking, oh wow, because, and this is jumping ahead, but the yeah. plot, the story ends, oh boy. That's the thing. Are you going to ruin the twist? (laughs) Yes, because all right, yeah, this is also giving away the end of the episode. I would, I would not encourage anyone to watch this movie. (laughs) Wow, I'm sorry, but anyway, uh, not not because it's offensive, because I don't think it's good. But we'll get to that. But uh, first of all, this whole, as as we say, the plot is one of those you know sexist '60s ones that we figure, okay, that's. You know, the, 
that that's kind of in keeping with the style. It's like, oh, okay, I'm going to prove that this whole idea of female independence and not needing not needing men or not needing love is, is a fraud. And oh, what do you know? It is. Mm. Yeah, that's you know, so. That's all women want is they want to get married and they want to fall in love, and that's all. They forget about careers or anything. And then it's like, aha! No, this whole this whole time the woman has been playing the man and has been fooling him. Because what she really does want is love and marriage and not a career. But then a- she decides she wants a career. <laughs> and then she decides, no, she wants love. And then she wants both, but we don't understand how they can... And it gets really frigging muddled. That is one mm. of my big problems, is the ending doesn't make sense. Literally, it just bounces from one thing to another. Well, I wanted to bring up that question because part of me wanted to at least consider the idea that that was what they were aiming for. Um, If they were, then I'm guessing somebody bent the site or they changed his glasses prescription without telling him. (laughs) Because if if that is what they were trying to do, they were trying to go, isn't this cute and funny how it was back then and aren't we glad we're not like that now? It doesn't come across. No, um, I, I think you have a point. I think they may have been trying to subvert the expectation, but they they either I found they either didn't subvert it or they did it so badly it didn't it didn't count as a subversion. It was just playing back into it. The other thing I could give them as an out is it's perhaps that they meant it to be that satire, but they were just having so much fun being in the '60s that they forgot that part. That was the thing. I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be a satire or an homage. Yeah, because they didn't. They it was exaggerated. I mean, the bits where uh, Vicky and Barbara walk into restaurants and they're walking in tandem. You know, they're moving yeah. like like it's almost a dance number. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty over the top. Or the way they walk in and drop their coats on the floor. It's like okay, this is kind of cartoony, but it's also what they used to do in those movies. That's yeah. not an exaggeration, and no. some of it is creepy. I mean. For uh, whatever, these '60s movies or their memories of them really love them. Some Ed Sullivan because the Ed Sullivan show makes an appearance in this, and we have an Ed Sullivan impersonator who we admittedly only see on a monitor. And wasn't that weird? It it's was like, incredibly gonna, weird. Well, you're going to use the real clip because that's definitely Judy Garland. My note was, how did they resurrect Judy Garland? It's like that's not an impersonator. That's actually no, Judy Garland. That, they, so th- why didn't they just use Ed Sullivan? I don't know. But, I don't, because he, they had to have him mentioning her, uh, Barbara Novak or something. She he had to, they used an impersonator, and the impersonator yeah. looked wrong. Like he didn't I, even look human. He no, looked, he looked like a seed, like a model or a wax dummy or something, or a Dick Tracy villain. <laughs> and, yeah, and then they cut in a clip because "Down with Love" is a Judy Garland song. Yeah. It's f- fairly popular from her, and they do a clip of her singing it. They don't even really do the clip. They sort of show it off to the side. And I'm sorry, that's... I, I don't like... that. This is a personal thing. I, I understand some people don't mind. It's been done... I can't off the top of my head think of a time it was done well, but it's been done where they insert dead people. <laughs> and I don't mean modified. I don't mean CG... I, I, I'm not talking uh, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin or <laughs> Princess Leia in Rogue One. I'm talking they actually use clips of dead actors or performers and insert them into 
media as if they're supposed to be there. It's morbid. Now, so why does that bother you here, but Grand Moff Tarkin doesn't? A, because that was not Peter Cushing. That was a digital recreation of Peter Cushing. And that bothered me, too, because it was like... (laughs) It was creepy there, too. This was... We're supposed to believe that Judy Garland is there. And that's actually her footage in a movie made decades after her death. Now, see, I didn't mind it so much here because she has no bearing on the plot. Nobody's interacting with her. They're literally showing her as, oh, she was on TV singing this song. Yeah, no, I... I freely admit this is just a personal thing. This is just a matter of taste. I I don't like it. I find it really weird. And it, I, it I, takes me out of the movie completely. I Again, because it's supposed to be the time and it's supposed to literally be what she was doing, there's no changing, there's no editorial decision on what Judy Garland's doing. I don't have a problem with this. I know a lot of people, when it first really showed up, started showing up, was Forrest Gump. And a lot of people had a lot of problems with that, because that was different. Because now we see uh, Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump interacting with JFK. Not an actor playing JFK, but actual JFK. Um, And then people were like, this is all becoming revisionist history, and they were really uptight, probably for good reasons about that. Um, And that was changing the context of the the actual footage. Um, And of course, then we had things like, um, I think it was Cary Grant was selling, was it Hershey's Chocolate or something? Uh, oh, I remember. No, they had Cary Grant and uh, Groucho Marx selling uh, some soda. I think it was Dr. Pepper. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, all of the Hollywood actors, quite rightfully so, started immediately penciling in clauses saying, no, when I'm dead, you don't get to do that. Yeah, that's now um, a standard thing in a lot of people's uh, contracts is uh, you can't use my image after my death. I think it's totally fine that it bothers you in this yeah. case because that's a personal thing. For me, the way they used it, I don't have a problem with it because it's literally just, hey, here's a clip of Judy Garland singing on Ed Sullivan. It wasn't like they showed her with Renee Zellweger or she's holding up a copy of the book. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> or she's wearing a Down With Love t-shirt. Or <laughs> that would have been, yeah, that would have been a bit much. I Honestly, I did find the Ed Sullivan impersonator creepier. Yeah, that I just was like, I don't know who you think that is. But why are you doing this? So, and then of course we get the little tribute to '60s racism when you have the the the, <laughs> the international uh, hit of uh, the whole idea is you see the uh, the front of a bookstore and it's now it's a bookstore in Paris. I was expecting a mime to walk by. Now it's a yeah. bookstore in Russia where like women in babushkas are smuggling copies of the book inside loaves of black bread. And That's then, of the course, it's one. China with a huge picture of Chairman Mao and these two women in coolie hats doing the <laughs> ah, so sorry, bow to each other. Ugh. Wow. I, just... <laughs> I, I looked at that and I had a note. It just said, ah, a little Asian racism. And yeah. I was like, okay, I get why you're doing this. You totally could have left this out, and it would have been fine. Yeah, that actually, um, that one shot really was it. Uh, uh, yeah. This this was also the last film of the great Florence Stanley. Who's Florence Stanley? Mrs. Fish. Oh, yeah, it's like, yep. I, she's in there with Mrs. Fish, and it's like, you know, the, the sad thing is she looks pretty much the same way she did on Fish. She did. She did. She, she may have gotten old, but she, you know, she held on for a long time. And oh, yeah, she, she's the dry yeah she's the dry cleaner's wife who later becomes the secretary. She's great. Yeah. She really walks away with any scene she's in. And uh, yeah, of course, Cruncher Block or whatever <laughs> his character's name is 
catch, you know, catcher in the rye. See, he he comes I, up. He he decides he's going to create a fake persona, and he decides he's going to be because it's 1962. And what's the big thing? Astronauts. Despite the fact you know we were seven years away from going to the moon, but mm. astronauts were a big thing. And he become and he he picks out a fake name. Yeah, this is an investigative journalist, by the way. He did not bother to come up with one. He didn't. He does it Kaiser Soje style <laughs> of grabbing words off of the signs in the dry Zip. cleaner. Mart- <laughs> Zip from like zipper repair. And he looks over at Martinizing and he says, Zip Martin, that's his name. <laughs> Zip and- Martindale. <laughs> I was waiting for this. Zip Martin with a pair of glasses and a pretty bad southern accent. Hey, I preferred that to what he was trying to do for the rest of the film because it's like, dude, where are you from? Yeah. It's like, are you British? Are you Scottish? Because we know you are. He like, was his the, accent kept slipping underst- out like a bad pair of underwear and a yeah. pair and a slacks with no zipper. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't understand that because Ewan McGregor normally is really good at maintaining an American accent, an English accent, or his native Scottish accent. But in this, it was like he wasn't really trying that hard. He would go in and out of American, English, Scottish. All over the place. <laughs> or his dull surprise accent when he plays Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, not his fault. I blame that all on George. Yeah, that, no, yeah. no. We cannot, I don't blame any of the actors in the Star Wars prequels, but we already talked about that. Yes, for three hours. <laughs> and the names, my God, never mind Catcher <laughs> Block, but the well, football quarterback Johnny Tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> and here's my problem. Catcher Block is a much better name for a gay character. Yeah. Oh, oh, God. I'm just saying. Oh. <laughs> wow. I can't. What is that? I mean, I, I don't even get it. I don't know. I, I, of course, I went right to Cruncher Block, who is a character from a Speed Racer yep, episode. Yep, yep. Um, yes, he is. But whatever. I, I, I kept starting out Catcher Block. And then I started thinking of, like, Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, Stump Huge Large. <laughs> Bronk Drywall. Yeah. Um, we do it besides the nice races, and we do get a couple of really nice stereotypical gay jokes early on there. Oh that's yeah, needed because you know, the, of course, the costumer has to be. Gay yeah, yeah, he is not just gay, but very swishy. Yeah, and yep. he'll show up later when he goes to work for the women's magazine. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah, speaking of that women's magazine, so <laughs> we get to this. This is towards the end. We're we're just going to be all over the place. Um, eventually, uh, Barbara opens her own counter magazine to the men's magazine which is i forget what it's called uh, the uh, women's magazine is called now oh yeah the men's no, was wait. no k-n-o-w and now she's now yeah and i don't know if you went there but as soon as we get to the office where it's all women except for the one gay guy yeah uh i was like oh i remember this from a certain um spy film of the 60s <laughs> and, it, and it made me my quote for this it made me go oh that's right this film is as woke as a Derek Flint movie. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that it was, uh, I can't remember which in, one in it like was. Flint. But, but, hmm? In Like Flint. Yeah, In Like Flint, where, yeah, it was yeah. a whole uh, female-dominated uh, plan. The yeah. plot of for that film, people who have not seen it, and this is a film that uh, Austin Powers is heavily, heavily based oh, on. heavily. Involves women being reprogrammed through hair dryers in salons. <laughs> yeah. 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 Brainwashed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. By the way, there was an interest. One thing that kind of surprised me, there is a little bit of alleged science thrown in where Renee Zellweger in her book about, you know, how women don't need love. Mind you, she's not saying they don't need sex. That was the weird part. Oh, she, no, she wasn't saying that. <laughs> no, in fact, she says they should have sex a la carte the way men do. 
If I might she quote, says, she said women should have sex und sex und sex all the time. Ah, thank you, Dr. Ruth Weisenheimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's good. Yes, Frank Miller quote, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> but uh, she says because uh, all you have, if women want love, or uh, the, the idea is that she offers up the idea of chocolate as a replacement for sex. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, this is the odd part. She's not wrong. Biochemically, I've read about this, the same levels of dopamine and a bunch of other hormones are released by the brain when you think about the person you're in love with as happens when you eat a lot of chocolate. Think about. Think about. Not actually are performing with. No, no, that's the thing. It doesn't replace sex. It doesn't duplicate sex. It duplicates the feeling of love. So you should have sex and eat chocolate at the same time. Exactly. No, you should have sex with a piece of chocolate. (laughs) It's science. Don't dispute me. Don't dispute me. I can't broadcast that. You're cut (laughs) off. Bumpy, get ready. (laughs) Bring it on, you bring it on, you mini Clydesdale. Yeah, that's that's what we're advocating here at Max Mike Movies. Sex with chocolate, people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know. You know. There, I do have to say this. There is one. Uh, most one of my one of my problems with this movie. Believe it or not, I have problems with this movie. You uh, do. Yeah, I don't find a lot of it funny. Just there's not a lot of hot. There is one sight gag. And it's on screen for about a half a second. It's David Hyde Pierce. And that actually made me smile. Not laugh, but smile. Because what is everyone drinking in this movie? Because what did everyone drink in the 60s? Martinis. And he's making a picture of them. And just as the throwaway, he picks up a bottle of vermouth and waves it over the (laughs) pitcher. He doesn't pour any. He just waves the closed bottle and puts it down. Yeah. That you know the old joke of the dry martini. It's like you know, I want it to just be uh, mixed by someone who's thinking of a picture of a bottle of vermouth. Yeah, and I thought, okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, because they also mentioned another beverage that a lot of us have forgotten about. Thank God. Did you, did you catch it? Uh, no. What? Sanka. <laughs> oh, that's right. <gasps> oh. So if you like coffee but don't actually want to drink coffee. <laughs> Oh, why so edgy? <laughs> Sanka Robert was... Robert Young! Uh, <laughs> yes! Uh, wow, deep, 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 deep. Sanka was a coffee substitute, because yes. I don't even think it was pretending to be coffee. Uh, was it decaf? Yeah, okay. at the very least. It was brown. <laughs> <laughs> and crunchy when it was in the jar. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it was, you didn't go... And the thing is, you could go to a ref- restaurant... And you wouldn't ask for a decaf, because they no. had that. That was they, not an unknown thing. No. But you could go to a restaurant, and they'd say, would you like some coffee? No, I'll have a Sanka. And they actually wanted this... Particular like, substance. Yeah, it's like going to a, a place for breakfast and saying, can I have a Tang? Which, mm. you know, again, for those of you who don't know what Tang is, you're fine. The drink um, the astronauts took to the moon. Yep, and I used to love Tang, but that's probably because it was literally sugar-colored <laughs> orange. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> But Sanka was this thing, and it you could tell because the coffee pots, I remember this, you know, the, the diner coffee pots were basically glass, but they had a plastic spout and handle. It was black for coffee, but yep. it was orange for Sanka. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, nowadays it's orange just for decaf. Right, because Sanka went away. As, right. Well, it should. Mm. Um, yeah, Sanka, okay. Ugh. I mean, they really did their research. They you know, did. It is really, really, really 60s, it, um, although it is a lot happier than Mad Men. Um, yeah, yeah. Much <laughs> a lot less more dark. singing and dancing. Mad <laughs> Mad Men. Yep. Oh, before I only saw the first episode. And they do um, have a lot of very 60s film tropes. They mm-hmm. have the whole, uh, you know, Yep, the nerdy, the nerdy best friend. That's not just a '60s trope yet. And uh, the swinger saying, "Here, why don't we switch apartments so I can look more like, you know, a nerd, and you can be look like a swinger." And the swinger's apartment, of course, is full of gadgets because apparently that was sexy. Like you press a button, and the phonograph yeah. begins playing a vinyl discoid that produces music. <laughs> what gets hey, me? I- did you notice? Well, you must have noticed because they throw it in your face. But uh, David Hyde Pierce has Vicky over. I'm sorry, Peter has Vicky. Over. It's hard to think of them as the characters because they're yeah. pretty much the actors are pretty much doing themselves for a lot of it. He has Vicky over, and he's figuring out the remote controls that open up the hidden, enormous bar and the couch turning into a bed. And turning on the phonograph, and what is the sexy makeout music? The 1812 Overture. <laughs> this, well, the this, only, this is hot. The, well, the only problem with using that is it's really hard to get your timing down just <laughs> right. Yeah, it's better to use the Anvil Chorus. <laughs> well, at least it's more regular. <laughs> and apparently, also, if you hit the wrong button, these old style stack phonographs will fire the records at you like saw blades yeah because we didn't see that in the flintstones oh no uh, yeah so i mean is that apartment sexy it was a huge thing you saw this in numbers of films you saw oh, yeah. them in james bond films you saw them in the Derek flint films. and again austin powers makes fun of that with the bed sliding yep. out of it do i make you horny baby no no <laughs> uh and i had to check too because i was like which one came first this to austin powers austin powers is 97 so yeah it does, yeah because uh, they're both approaching the 60s in the same way it's just austin powers blows it up a little bit more than this film austin powers made, made went much more for parody than homage well and also austin powers is meant to be more like 67 68 and this yeah. is meant to be more like 61 62 so yeah um we're talking like the suits versus the hippies right because yeah uh, all the the psychedelic stuff will be austin powers much more than um this mad men sort of thing again although this bears absolutely no <laughs> resemblance except like the one tie that cruncher block is wearing is, is from the mad men but otherwise yeah. i'm sorry catcher block whatever catcher what the hell is that i don't know again i, I know assume it's, it's, i assume it's supposed to be like woman catcher i guess yeah. and who is this sexy to white guys that's who it's sexy to which is who the, all these movies well except that the the, the doris day films i don't think those were aimed at guys I, no, I, those were, I thought, much more for women. But it, again, it was supposed to be... They were aimed at women. I don't know if women were the ones who enjoyed oh. it. Be, well, it was no, the, it's, like, it's, again, it's what, it's what guys thought women liked. That's yeah. what it was. That's yeah. the problem. Exactly. So They want beds that come out of everywhere. Women love that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that voice but, was. Uh, and so whatever. many odd bits of 60s. What You know, 1962, the counterculture was... In its infancy, but at one point, one of the sight gags is a whole bunch of guys climbing out of a cab with ban the bomb signs. Mm. That's a little oh. early, but okay. Oh, those wacky protesters. And then there is the scene with the beatnik party. No, they're not beatniks. They're, 
Oh, but they're wearing black turtlenecks, and some of them have berets no, and not. soul patches. And no, it's a, wow. Um, it's yeah. Again, it's very much what the and again, this fits the '60s movies because the people who made those movies had probably never seen a beatnik in their life. No, or they saw the movie The Beatniks. Yeah, they aren't even both The Boatniks. <laughs> so strange. Yeah. Um, they, they do a lot of things very right. And I think, again, they, there was a lot of love in this. It might be misplaced, but they really did their research. And, oh, they actually used eBay. Woo. Well, to be fair, in 2003, eBay was not nearly the thing it, it is now. It was pretty big even in the, even then. It wasn't the Oh, it was big. I had an Empire, account back but... in 2000. But it was, it was, you couldn't find everything the way you have now. Like, I swear, if you go on eBay now, you'll find stuff you yourself threw out last week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty so, much. Uh, you mentioned eBay. <laughs> oh, Al, you are so weird. Um, you mentioned earlier in your uh, your plot synopsis about the innuendo. My uh, <laughs> my note on that was the stark innuendo actually hurts. <laughs> yeah, that like, that is one thing that really got me. Uh, is I mean, they really thrust it right into your yeah. face if you... Know the 60... I mean. That is one of the things... I was going to bring this up toward the end, but that is one of the th- reasons I think this movie doesn't work. There was an innocence about those 60s sex comedies. <laughs> there really was. You really got the feeling that no one was actually taking their clothes off during the sex scenes. Well, certainly not Doris Day. No. there, you know, Because there's no nudity in those movies, and except for... Mm. Uh, I guess a, a sort of in, in a bathtub scene with Renee Zellweger, which again you just see covered up, and Ewan McGregor pulling his shirt off at any opportunity, and, and exploding like, buttons into people's faces, yeah. <laughs> yes, button landing in people's drinks. That was funny. Yeah, uh, which I guess is supposed to be hot, except my God, the man's arms look like pool noodles. Uh, <laughs> there's an innocence, even the double entendres and the misunderstandings. There is. It, this was again like more like Austin Powers, where they're you know <laughs> using sausages and melons. <laughs> there is a sequence supposed to be a where they're doing the split screen conversation where the two of them are wearing towels, and yeah. they're simulating <laughs> oral sex. Which I don't was... mean they're hinting at it. I mean it's softcore porn. It wasn't that soft. No, it's there's no subtlety. There is no. Oh. It, that's why it wasn't funny. It was just blatant. Yeah. And, and I, that I probably really was just, jarring because it didn't fit. I, I think I actually sat back and went, okay, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just, okay. You don't know what to do with it. You just don't. Um, no. And, you know, again, the message... <laughs> Oh. The, the message, message. The, the moral oh. <laughs> what more it's so confusing because the first big twist i'm gonna try you, you gotta help me okay i'm gonna try to explain what what the first big twist is because i'm not sure i understood it spoiler now, like the spoiler. whole the whole spoiler. thing yeah, spoiler big spoiler the whole thing through this movie is Cruncher Block is trying to get Barbara to fall in love with him to prove that she's a fraud and this whole idea of women don't need love is a lie. And go with him on the mammoth car. Yes, and go and, and run away to Vegas on a mammoth car. And uh, the whole thing is, oh, no, he's falling in love with her, we're told. We don't really see it. But 
at the end, when she finds out through, you know, a series of, you know, stupid hijinks, oh, I'm sorry, wacky hijinks, <laughs> finds out that he's trying to get her to confess that she's not the down with love girl and she's not upset because, dun dun dun, not only is he, she discovers he's not Zip Martin, she, she's not Barbara Novick. <gasps> Gasp! No, it turns out she's Nancy Brown, his formerly brunette secretary who fell in love with him a year or two ago and decided to concoct this deranged plan where she would become a best-selling author, get him to become obsessed with her, thus he would be paying attention only to her, and fall there he would fall in love and want to marry her. Uh, because otherwise he would just be too distracted by his army of other women. So she concocted this whole scheme to get him to try to expose her by by basically making the two of them fall in love and then want to marry her. Did I get that in, right? In one of the most amazingly delivered three and a half minute speeches yeah. I've ever seen. I gotta say, again, props to Renee Zellweger because she sells the hell out of that speech and she doesn't blow a line, and she's talking nonstop for three minutes. And she doesn't rip off a mask and have people go, Mr. Simkin! <laughs> yeah, which was pretty much the thing you were expecting. It's like, oh, doesn't she own the haunted amusement park? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's essentially correct. Um, there is no Barbara Novak. Uh, it was, she was a secretary. She made the whole figuring the only way she could manipulate him, knowing him as well as she did. The only way she could manipulate him is by presenting him with such a, I don't know, obstacle, such a challenge. hard to ignore challenge yeah. that he would have to try and trick her. <laughs> yeah, because that's then, not creepy or stalkerish. And then that would cause him to actually fall in love with her which is what she wanted she didn't necessarily want to fall in love with him because she already had she wanted to make him fall yeah. in love with her yeah and then when the moment comes and he actually has fallen in love with her and is like we should get married she's like well i can't do that to the women of the world then i would be a, a phony yeah she doesn't think she doesn't think that at first but then seven of nine shows up again i'm sorry <laughs> jerry ryan shows up again and says you changed my life i'm going to I'm not, i don't want to be a stewardess i'm going to be a pilot you showed me i didn't need to just go around running after men. You've inspired all the women in the world. And she goes, oh, crap, I can't give up being Barbara Novak because I'm now an inspiration. Like, aha, look at this. We're subverting expectations. I want to be a dentist. <laughs> yeah, she, wants uh. to, she doesn't like to make toys, apparently. Herbie <laughs> wants to be a dentist. <laughs> Sorry, it's just an excuse for me to do that. I know, um, I know. And, and then go so she goes off and forms the magazine. Yeah, and she starts her women's says, magazine and, says, and just hires mostly women. And, in a way, proves Barbara Novak's point. Because she walks away from the thing she said she wanted as... I can't remember the secretary's real name, whatever. Uh, Nancy Which Brown. was love. Yeah. And says, you know what's better is that book where I have a, uh, this great career and I can have guys come up in any time I want. And, of yeah. course, the, the big one of the... Except that's Except. not how it ends. No. It ends with... He's like, oh, I'm in love with her, and I'm a changed man, and I'm going to write her blink. a love letter, which we don't really hear. And he, well, he writes go her and, a resume, is what he. No, that's right. He writes a resume, <laughs> and he goes off, goes and tries to get her to marry him, and 
Yeah. Even though, yeah, she has become this incredible publishing powerhouse and is a multimillionaire and is an inspiration. And they're going to fly off to Vegas and get married. Sure. Um, I have a few questions I would like to get to before yeah, we get to yeah. the uh, the, oh. the wrap up. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I do want to mention. Yeah, before we do those, I, I do also want to mention the relationship between Peter and Vicky. You know, David Hyde Pierce and Sarah Paulson. What what relationship is that? I don't know. I don't really understand what the relationship is supposed to be. I mean, it starts out she thinks he's gay, but she also still wants to marry him. Then she finds out he's not gay. Then he's complaining that she keeps just using him for sex. <laughs> then they have the weirdest proposal where they're both talking on the phone saying basically reading the same lines it's like they both got the same page in the script and it just ties up their again this is very 60s it's a secondary relationship and it gets tied up in 40 seconds would you have wanted it to take longer <laughs> honestly i like their i thought their characters were more interesting these two people, Cruncher Block and Barbara and Barbara Stanwyck or whatever, are insane. These are creepy stalker obsessed weirdos. Both of them. They're they're terrible people. He, they both spend the entire movie playing mind games with each other to control the other person to alter their emotions. But it's, it's fun. Weird. <laughs> Um, so yeah, a couple of questions sure. I, I have that I would like to throw in here. Um, and these are ones, most of these are ones that we, uh, we do like to, to propose to each of the films we watch. Yeah. Yep. So do we buy how they meet? In the sixties, sort of, it's very contrived. It's not nearly as organic as we've seen in other romantic comedies because he's very much stalking her. Well, he's hunting not, her. No, initially he's ignoring her. Yes, and but then, once he, then yeah. if you'll pardon the expression, they're more or less thrust together. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you mean? He see, he follows her into a dry cleaner. He sees her going in there. He grabs his friend's dry cleaning mm. ticket. No, because remember, initially they keep David Hyde Pierce's character keeps trying to get him to yeah, write yeah, about I'm her, and he's I, like, "Nah, nah, nah I'm not. Pff, I got better things." Oh, I can't make our lunch engagement, and I'm not really British. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and then it's finally, it's like she did what? Well, and then he plots. Yeah. So it's it works it's, for that type of movie. It's very contrived, but sure. Sure. What do, okay, what do, you, uh, do you do? You agree? Same thing, you know. Yeah. It, in that weird, we're pretending it's the '60s. Let's all pretend that yeah. it's the '60s together, kind of way. Sure, because if they had tried to do anything more realistic, I honestly don't think it would have worked. Let, let um, me like, ask you one of our other questions that we always oh, that we talk about. This: Do you think the leads have chemistry with each other? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with each other. <laughs> um, kind of. I think there is some, but. I think it's not a, a fault of the actors in this case. Mm. Um, I think that the actors are doing as good a job as they can with what they're given, but the two characters themselves don't make any sense together. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, the Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor are charming, charismatic people, and yeah. they're really. I even like it when they sing. Yeah, Honestly, they I, both they have. Sing. They have great voices. Yeah. They can dance. It, one of one of the funny moments I thought is when they're trying to do do the twist, and they're both very clearly trying to do it badly. And it takes a pretty good dancer to be convincingly bad. But yeah, they, they are. They're very talented people, 
and they do their best, but you're right, the characters don't have chemistry. They don't make any sense together. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're delightful. They're, they're, I like watching them. I think the whole ending song number, I'm fine with it, partially because they're obviously having a lot of fun. Mm. Um, and it, it's basically, I honestly think they were trying to do the director a favor, too. It's like, um, yeah, the way you ended the movie doesn't really work. Well, let's try something else. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a question that's not usually... I have two. They're sort of tied together. Yeah. Uh, my first question I don't need an answer to is, why did they dye you and McGregor's hair? I don't know. It was such a bad dye job. The other question, and this is specifically for you, Hmm? why haven't they dyed Renee's hair before? Did you like her as a redhead? Because I thought, uh, wow. Yeah, actually, she was pretty stunning as a redhead. And this is not to say that Renee Zellweger is not. She, no, her natural and her natural hair color is very pretty. But wow, (laughs) it's like, why weren't you like this the whole movie? <laughs> yeah. Um and I think we probably answered this one but do we believe the way they come together at the oh, end of the film? Oh good lord no. No. <laughs> no. Uh I I think there's just way too much rewriting of Cruncher Block's <laughs> character <laughs> um to make him fit what he needs to do. It just doesn't it doesn't ring true. I don't no. suddenly believe he's seen the light. No. Now, that being said, the idea, although not the actual portrayal, of Barbara's character is very attractive. I mean, yes, physically she's attractive. Although initially, the clothes she's wearing to me were like, wow, those are really stylish and frumpy at the same time. <laughs> yeah, she kind of yeah. looked like a turtle, a big pink plaid turtle. Um, <laughs> and then she get they get to this this dinner scene and she's wearing this gown. And it's like, okay, that's, that's better. Um, like I give a crap. But um, <laughs> I just felt that, you know, here's this smart... Uh, really actually clever career woman who's also physically attractive. And it's like that character, if you left it that way and didn't portray it the way that was portrayed, yes, I can totally see why people would be trying to get with this person. Um, But not the Barbara Novak or whatever her real name is that we actually see. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't buy them coming together because it's just, he ends, it's almost like he's like, now he's bowing at her feet and you can see him with an apron at home doing yes, dear, no, dear. It's, it's almost that much of a turnaround. Um, I also had to wonder if this wasn't some, you know, if it's not being a satire, if it was just some old white man's last grasp of the days of Doris Day and Rock Hudson. But I wonder, well, he wasn't that old at the time, so I guess not. Um, cause yeah, that part didn't work. Um, yeah. Any other notes or questions you want well, to get one, one, the big one? Well, one thing I did notice I, is when they're going on their date montage mm-hmm. and they're going through, you know, they're going to go see what Camelot and then you see this montage of them going through Broadway and mm-hmm. all these great shows being, you know, the, the marquees going by. Again, a classic movie trope. Uh, I'm sitting there going, this is such a mistake because all I'm sitting here going at, doing is going, wow, I would love to be watching one of those shows instead of this movie. <laughs> and uh, there was at least one bit that does not age well, and thank God it's a quickie, but they're going through the East Village, and you see, oh, wow, they're going to go see Lenny Bruce, and oh, look, they're going to see Bill Cosby. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that doesn't age and well. And he's headlining for Louis C.K. Oh. <laughs> well, that doesn't work, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Same but reason. again, it was it was really well done. It was right out of those '60s movies. The shots and the angles and the weird uh, 
uh, superimpositions. Yeah. But, uh, but I guess we should get to that point that yeah, <laughs> everyone's yeah. been waiting for. Yeah. And pause. The Roundup. So, Max. Yeah. Sorry, caught a nap there. What? Um, yeah. Did you enjoy this as much as you enjoyed Showgirls? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Hey, I remember, I was not the one who had to watch Showgirls. You were. I thought you had actually seen it. I have point. never seen that thing. Oh, good. And I hope nobody ever does. I'm sorry yeah. I even said it again. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like having to bring up Rogue Warfare ah, 3 every once in a while. Stop doing that. <laughs> Zangief's ass. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. Um, so what did you think, Max? <laughs> I, uh, I thought this was really bad. I'm sorry. I, I thought it. the look was good. I, I thought it was... You could see the sort of loving tribute to the visual and audio styles of the 60s movies. It just... For 2003, for 2021, it just doesn't work. It was too much of an homage and not enough of a parody because the basic premise of those movies is really offensive, and it it's it it's very out it's very dated and the try the attempt to subvert it just made it confusing. I it didn't work for me at all. What about you? I mean, it's no springtime for Hitler. But... <laughs> <laughs> that at least is funny. <laughs> In small amounts. In small amounts, but seeing uh, so, when I saw this, I remember thinking it was exactly what it was trying to do it was light it was fun it was reminiscing about the early 60s um i won't call them sex comedies because i don't think anybody (laughs) in them ever had any especially if one of them was rock hudson um (laughs) but i remember it being light fluffy and fun which is why i actually suggested it max didn't suggest this film i did because i don't think max would have thought about it one way or the other um and i watched this and i'm like oh my gods what what are they doing this is so misogynistic and it's and it's got this strong woman character who's basically ending up saying that gosh it sure is great to be sexualized and uh i i hope i get to be a mom and and uh maybe i'll be a nurse or a school teacher i mean it's just she doesn't do that but no it doesn't come off as as satire or parody at all it comes across as some white guy's fantasy in a way um and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if I missed you and looking right at the camera and winking at the end of the film at some point. Going, yep, I'm going to go and we're going to get married. Wink. And, you know, he just ends up going back to doing I, what he used to do. I, I added my notes after Barbara uh, or whoever's monologue about yeah. her secret plan. The look on Ewan McGregor's face, I was thinking, that is the look that everyone in the audience had on their face. Because it's yeah. just like, what? <laughs> Yeah, um, I found an interesting quote, uh, a review of the movie as it came when it came out from yeah. the San Francisco Chronicle, and I thought that the quote was really interesting. Um, and the quote is, "The brilliance, uh, yeah, I know their word. The brilliance of Down with Love is that it is slyly reminding us that our modern perspective, like every modern perspective that preceded it, is doomed to obsolescence and isn't some final stage of enlightened social thought." Now, I don't think that you can use the word brilliance, no. but it is true. Hmm. Unfortunately, it doesn't emphasize that, basically telling us, yeah, wasn't this horrible? It's fun to make fun of it, but phew, glad that's over. It felt a lot more like, we can still do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you so. want to get really subtle, you think maybe it's pointing out that these attitudes still exist and they haven't disappeared. 
Well, that's you know why I asked that question, but I I, I don't I think that's giving no. the movie too much credit. Yeah, um, I would say it's sexist. It's got its moments of racism. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, but it's. I think the people making it are enjoying themselves. They seem to be. And in all the outtakes I saw, they all seem to be having a great time. I just don't think they literally saw the bigger picture. And it I don't think it works, especially not in 2003. It's a film you might be able to forgive from 1962. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think you'd remember it. Well, you um, also it, would, it couldn't also be the the uh sex talk could not be nearly that explicit <laughs> in 1962. I mean, Austin Powers was more explicit, but not by much. Not by a lot, no. <laughs> no. Uh, um, so. Yeah. Well, there you have it. So, uh, first, a little quick business. Yes. Uh-huh. If you've enjoyed this show, if you want to check out our old ones, you can go to our website, maxmikemovies.com. Got a complete archive of the old shows. Uh, also, announcements and other such things, and a lot of non existent swag. Um, so, you can also find us on the podcast app of your choice, like the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app. We're on iHeartRadio. You can find us on Spotify, and we're on the medias of socialness on uh, Twitter and Facebook under Max Mike Movies. And if you wish to send any questions, quibbles, comments, fashion tips based on the 60s, you can email us at us at max, maxmikemovies.com. Also, like to point out that this normally we we stay pretty apolitical on the show, but I would like to point out that this is our very first in the the hundred and twenty odd episodes, our first one hundred percent Trump free episode. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> welcome I to the happier well, already. welcome to the Biden era of MaxMikeMovies.com. Uh, and also you know the the email address if you have suggestions uh, because we do take them seriously this whole series was a suggestion from one of our listeners yes it was Um, putting the the business at the end of the episode was a suggestion from one of our listeners Yep. you never know Uh, and who knows we might even decide uh, to do one of those uh, guest appearances again if you'd like to be a guest in our show at some point Heck, go ahead and tell us ahead of time, even if we don't have a contest. Write us, yes. let us know. We love yes. comments. Yep, at us at MaxMikeMovies.com or at Spiegel, Chicago 60609. <laughs> no, not, 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 not really. <laughs> but uh, so la- next week is our final Isn't It Romantic uh, entry. And Mike, what is that going to be? Well, don't worry, Max. I will always love you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're, didn't we already do Titanic? Of- I uh, think that's actually the body. Oh, no, that's it? right. The, oh, Lord, no. And I think you hurt me. <laughs> that was the point. I'm sure yeah. everybody just turned off. Besides, next week, I would yes, only want to listen to the Dolly Parton version. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, next week, we got to rope and ride and brand them and bring this. <laughs> puppy down doggy down to the whatever we have to bring this into a conclusion um and i can't think of a better way to conclude this (laughs) i can't i can't think of a better way to conclude this round of uh, rom-coms and silliness and a lack of sex in the most cases uh because that has been a a theme in most of these films (laughs) um then by the uh, it's 90s isn't it uh, i think so the ni- late 1990s film which apparently i've never seen this film which Neither apparently nearly brought the rom-com to its knees and not in a good way <laughs> you've got mail
Oh, Meg Ryan. Poor Meg Ryan. <laughs> is it, is it, it's not Tom Hanks, or is it? It is. It is Tom Hanks Tom and Hanks. Meg Ryan. That, that much I do know. And, and it's a film all about the advent and importance of email. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and why America Online was a great national nightmare. Hey, they provided backup discs for the nation. <laughs> so if you'd like a backup disc, why don't you back up to our disc next week, yep. won't you? We'll try not to be floppy. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.